Welcome to Frankly Judaic, a podcast that explores cutting-edge Judaic studies research conducted at the University of Michigan. When Frankel Center fellow Shana Zamkani was a graduate student at the University of Chicago, she spent time in Yemen studying Arabic. While I was there, I visited a small village uh, in the south of the country that was stratified. So meaning that the top part of this mountain village is where Muslim Yemeni lived, and the bottom layer was where Jews had once lived. Zamkani's Arabic teacher told her that the Jews had left eagerly when the state of Israel was founded in 1948. But then my teacher told me that before they had left, the Jews had carved the year of their departure in the doorpost. And I thought this was such a fascinating story because to me that sounded like they weren't leaving with ease, that there was this hope of return, that, you know, why would you want to leave a memory if not for the desire to return to this place? And so Zamkani began to wonder. Why hadn't I really come across these different narratives of departure uh, while I had been studying the history and politics of the modern Middle East? Why wasn't this something that was foregrounded in uh, an American and Israeli Jewish communities? Those questions led Zamkani to her current research project, which investigates traditional accounts that describe Jews from Arab countries as having escaped persecution by gladly immigrating to Israel as soon as the opportunity arose. The truth, Zamkani has learned, is more complicated. In the past few decades, at least within Israel, there's been a lot of critical scholarship deconstructing this idea of the return to the homeland, that in fact, things were a lot more complicated the situation of Jews in Muslim countries really differed in time and place. It wasn't this long narrative of persecution, as many are wont to believe. In fact, Zamkani says, many so-called Mizrahi Jews who trace their roots to Arab countries have come to see themselves as refugees. But only recently have their claims for recognition as refugees really assumed a prominent place in the American and Israeli Jewish landscapes. So my research right now focuses on the question of why now and what are the effects of these kind of demands on these Jewish communities. Now, to really understand why Mizrahi Jews would want to claim refugee status, it's important to know something about the history of Jews living in the Arab world. In pre-1948 Iraq, for example, Jews made up nearly one quarter of the population. Jews were very integrated in society. There were wealthy Jews, there were poor Jews, they were, they were literate, they were part of the political sector, part of culture, very prominent writers, singers. The point is that such Jews saw Iraq as their homeland. And the same was true to varying degrees for Jews in other Arab nations. But when many of these Jews immigrated to Israel in 1948, their treatment by the Israeli establishment was not exactly welcoming or accepting of their Middle Eastern origins. On the eve of statehood, and in the early decades of statehood, there was a desire to eradicate Arabness, where you know the term Jew and Arab were seen as binary. So that meant that Jews from Arab countries were expected to adopt new names. They were expected to learn Hebrew and not speak Arabic in the home. They were expected to pronounce Hebrew in the way that European Jews pronounced Hebrew, meaning not pronouncing more of the guttural uh, consonants. So there were a lot of expectations that you know ultimately were imposed on them 
And consequently, they, were, they suffered a lot of discrimination by the establishment and within society. They tended to spend more time than their European Jews in what were effectively refugee camps, often lacking, you know, the basic conditions. Disease was rampant. It was it was a really terrible time and adjustment period. And the memories of these camps uh, tend to loom largely in the memories of Jews from Arab countries. Mizrahi Jews who immigrated to the United States didn't suffer the same type or level of discrimination. But the American Jewish establishment, comprised largely of Jews of European background, didn't really welcome Mizrahi Jews either. European Jews tended to view them as Arab, and consequently you had different Jewish communities that were isolated from each other, even though they were you know, practicing the same religion. So the communities in the United States, when we think about the major Jewish organizations um, and the synagogues and the different streams of Judaism, like Orthodoxy, Conservative Judaism, Reform Judaism, this really doesn't encapsulate the full Jewish narrative that you know, Middle Eastern Jews have a very long history in the United States that Middle Eastern Jews don't necessarily describe to these different denominational distinctions, and that for the most part, they have been excluded from the uh, American Jewish establishment. Mizrahi Jews have experienced this sort of discrimination and exclusion in Israel and the United States for decades. But it's only relatively recently that Mizrahi groups have started to demand recognition as refugees. As for why now... Well, Zam Kanai says it's complicated. For example, in the 1970s, the newly founded World Organization of Jews from Arab countries tried to champion the cause of recognizing Mizrahi Jews as refugees, but failed. Because too much of its politics were intertwined with the question of Palestinian statehood. And in the 1970s in Israel at that time, there was a lot of ethnic tension between Ashkenazim and Sephardim or Mizrahim. And the government was worried that giving further attention to the question of discrimination of Jews from Arab countries or the question of refugee status would further divide society. In the United States, meanwhile, the Mizrahi refugee issue began to gain traction in the late 1990s and early 2000s for a few reasons. In the late 90s, when a Palestinian state seemed likely to happen, the issue of Mizrahi Jewish refugee status was part of the discussion. Because it had been raised periodically throughout the decades that the former former UN High Commissioner of Refugees had recognized that Jews, in fact, were expelled from Egypt. There was a statement by one of the members of the PLO in the 1970s who said effectively that, you know, Arab countries shouldn't expel the Jews because then Jews will have a right decades later to ask for, you know, reparations, to ask for refugee rights in the same way that the Palestinians were demanding at that time and at this time. Another reason for the only recent recognition of the Mizrahi Jewish refugee question, Zamkanai says, is simply that it can take a long time, even decades, for a displaced people to find their footing and get to the point where they're able and willing to make a case to be recognized as having been displaced. So it's taken a lot of effort by one organization in particular, Justice for Jews from Arab Countries, to frame the question in terms of international human rights, where not only Jews are expected to be sympathetic with this question, but non-Jews as well, since it's now become uh, an international question rather than just this domestic tiff in the context of Israeli-Palestinian politics. A lot of the effort of these Mizrahi organizations has involved fighting for historical recognition. The organization Justice for Jews from Arab Countries, which is you know, pursuing recognition within the legal and the international political realm. 
They attend you know, various international conferences. They've spoken before the UN, various governments, in an effort to try and secure a kind of recognition of the histories of Jews from Arab countries from particular governments. Then there are efforts by organizations like Jews Indigenous to the Middle East and North Africa, which are trying to uh, make Jewish high school students more aware of the histories of Jews from Arab countries. Ultimately, Zamkanai says, Mizrahi Jews want their histories to be seen as a distinct but organic and integral part of the larger Jewish story. It's a desire, she says, that's particularly relevant given the upheavals and struggles for recognition happening around the world today. When I began my research, you know, partway through is when the the civil conflict, the civil war erupted in Syria. And I couldn't help but liken the case of Jews from Arab countries in many ways to the case of the Armenians in Syria, where they had been displaced from the Ottoman Empire. They had settled in Aleppo. They had made homes in Aleppo and were now displaced again. And I think it's important to understand why people seek recognition. The recognition is in many ways fundamental to who we are and really has the effect of transforming a political landscape. We see that in the United States and you know, in the Black Lives Matter context. We've also seen in the queer movements. But that when we think about recognition, we have to recognize that it means many things beyond just you know, sound bites and signposts. That does it for this episode of Frankly Judaic, a production of the Gene and Samuel Frankel Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. The executive producer of Frankly Judaic is Jeffrey Weidlinger, the director of the Frankel Center. We'd love to know what you thought about this episode, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us some comments. Thanks for listening.